Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. On this episode, we have Jordan Murray, who is a registered dietitian with Riverside Corporate Wellness. Uh, a few episodes ago, we got to talk to uh, an educator and their lead fitness instructor at Riverside Corporate Wellness, and they highly recommended that we talk to Jordan and just talk about his expertise when it comes to customizing weight management plans and just diet in general. We really got into a lot more things other than just weight management, which was really different in terms of when we talk about nutrition and health in general. It seems to be that most of it is geared around weight loss. We also talked about eating disorders, which is an area that he has worked extensively in, which was really intriguing and just something that I don't think we realize the prevalence of in every day-to-day life, um, along with just really, it was just mind-blowing that that is that common and how many people struggle with that. So we highly recommend talking about that, some great kind of practical tips and some great resources that we'll link up to in the show notes and on uh, his part page on on clinicallypress.com. With that, again, please check out Paragon Fitness and Nutrition. Know these guys, really like what they do. They've got all the best intentions, A, giving you a great product, B, giving back to first responders, emergency crews, and military. Highly recommend checking out their stuff, including night gains. Remember, promo code CP15 at checkout to get 15% off. Really recommend giving it a try, seeing what you think, seeing if you can't help out and improve your sleep. Enjoy the episode. Kind of where we're at with it, because we're not extremists on any end for yeah, any reason. It's so. got to be practical. If people don't understand it, they can't use it. Um, yeah, with that, we'll get started. Uh, welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. We are at Cabin Coffee in downtown La Crosse talking to Jordan Murray of Riverside Corporate Wellness. Uh, Jordan is a registered dietitian and is it certified nutritionist? Or what's yeah, the yeah, second you can, um, letters? We can use dietitian or nutritionist. Okay. So um, there's a lot of controversy about that term nutritionist, but dietitians are allowed to use either one. Basically. Gotcha. So. Maybe we'll have to ask about that, too. Just curious on your take on it with a couple different things. But before we get into all that, uh, just a little background on just you, uh, what got you into everything, what you do now, um, and kind of maybe where you want to take that and go from there. Yeah. Sweet. So, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, But uh, I got my undergrad at Viterbo University right here in La Crosse, and uh did the coordinated program, got my all my internships done. Uh, after school, went to Rogers Memorial Hospital for my first job as a dietitian, which is a uh, behavioral health hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. So I didn't really have a lot of background in eating disorders, but that's what I ended up doing for about five and a half years after school. Oh, wow. So, um, and then more recently, the past almost two years now, I've been at Riverside Corporate Wellness as a corporate wellness dietitian. Awesome. 
Uh, we'll definitely get into that behavioral health. I know that was something uh, big. Um, first one, because I, it's kind of per our discussion before we even got going, just about the different quote unquote fads and nutrition and staying up to date with those and the education of it. Mm-hmm. You know, paleo came in with a roar, it seems like. And then we're talking to a couple of our CrossFit buddies. They're talking about like it's modified paleo now, which even in their eyes is like a balanced diet because um, you're adding in some carbs and whatnot. But how do you juggle that and also keep up with what is in the evidence? Right. So, uh, first of all, it's tough because, um, I don't know if you guys are on Twitter at all, but, um, more Instagram, which I have a hilarious one for you guys after this. Okay. Twitter can be a dangerous place. Uh, you know, I follow sports stuff, some politics stuff on there, but nutrition, you know, you kind of see all these tribes almost come out Mm -hmm. and, you know, everyone's got their, everyone's got their beliefs. They've got their things they believe in. Um, but you know, like you asked, what has evidence behind it? Um, I, I, I think it's important to have the sources that you can count on. So if I really am trying to get background information on something, I'll go to the National Institute of Health or something really reputable where I can, where I can um, get some baseline information on that. But you know, with a lot of those trends, fads, whatever you want to call them, there's usually pieces of truth, pieces of usefulness, pieces of evidence in almost any of those things. You mentioned paleo, for example. I mean, I think paleo, the general idea, eating whole foods and basing your diet around those things is, is great. And that's that's a big part of what I teach to people. Um, but when you draw a line in the sand and make it where you can't ever have any of these foods over here, that's where it loses its practicality. And so when you're looking at evidence, it's not just does it work in a lab setting, but does it work for the general population? Because um, there's a big difference there in those controlled settings you can get um, really amazing results, but it's all controlled. Right. So if you take that out to the general population, uh, first of all, are they going to understand it? Are they going to be able to follow it? So if you don't have evidence that, you know, it's going to be practical for general public, you know, how useful does it really end up being? It's a great point. Yep. So with that uh, follow-through, what are some of your recommendations or um, what are some tools that you use to try to get people to, you know, follow what your recommendations are? So, uh, first of all, I, I think it's important to understand what the person wants to accomplish. So when I'm sure, counseling right. someone, I don't want to assume, uh, a lot of people assume, you know, every counsel, counseling session is about weight management and that's what the majority ends up being, but there's so many other topics and, and, and everyone has different focuses. So, uh, when you're trying to figure out how to get someone from A to B, you want to know where do they want to be in the future. And so um, identifying their goals and you individualize those recommendations to them. Generally speaking, um, I think mindful eating is a, a huge tool that um, that I emphasize and I use talking about um, having a, a sense of when you're hungry, when you're full versus just eating out of habit or eating to deal with emotions, different things like that. Um, so mindful eating is a big piece of it. Making sure people are getting fruits, vegetables, those plant-based foods. I think it's almost impossible to have a really balanced diet without having a good proportion of those foods in it. Most of the things that we don't get enough of, you're going to find 
mostly in those foods. So Funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be a big piece of it as well. Um, and frankly, you've got to have a plan that, that people enjoy, I think. Um, you have to enjoy food. We're, we're kind of set up that way biologically. And so um, if you have a plan that's, I don't know, someone comes in wanting to do a super low-carb diet, but they really like all these foods with carbs, probably not going to work <laughs> long-term. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you just have to uh, you have to ask the questions to find out how to get the person where they want to be and, and know what their goals are. So kind of back to our fads, do you play into that at all? And, and by playing into it, I mean in finding the thing that works for the person. Like mm-hmm. if they go and they read the thing about the hottest thing, do you try and kind of work within those confines in terms of like buy-in? Well, first they, first they have to understand what they're getting into. Right. So keto. You, yeah, you like modify whatever the insert, whatever diet it is here. Right. To right. Sure. You can, maintain uh, the balance. Tr- those, those fads are kind of useful because people get excited about them. Right. So uh, a great example is the like the alkaline diet. I don't know if you guys okay. have talked to people about that, but it's kind of the idea you eat these foods with a higher pH uh, that are more alkaline, and it's supposed to change you know your blood and your body, and it really doesn't do what it says it's going to do. It doesn't change the pH in your body. If it did, you'd be in big trouble. You'd probably be in the hospital. But is it like the eat right for your blood type kind of. Well, that, that's a whole that's a, a whole, whole different sorry, thing. Sorry. Yeah, but. Um, you know, what's coincidental about that is those foods that are more alkaline, it's more of the fruits, the vegetables, plant-based foods. So people end up eating more fruits and vegetables. Um, they're not changing anything with the pH in their body, but they're eating a healthier diet. So whatever the motivation was to get them doing that, you know, and it w- in a way it can be useful, I guess. Yeah. But um, it, as long as it's not going to be you know, something that's harmful. And I mentioned my work with eating disorders and certainly the extremism with nutrition and diets. If you go too far that direction, you can certainly bridge into disordered eating. Um, you know, there, there's certain dietary regimens that have been out there on the internet that aren't just flat out, aren't good for you. The carnivore diets one. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter about that where it's just, you just eat meat all day, basically. And if you want to end up with scurvy, that's a good way to do it. So, you know, whatever trends people are interested in, you do have to make sure, you know, it's not going to cause any harm. With the uh, um, alkaline and then with the carnivore, um, because people that are wanting to do that alkaline diet, they tend to shy, from my experience, more away from red meats and mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing. So with going along with the fruits and veggies, do you give them recommendations on telling them, you know, Perhaps it's not necessarily bad to cut out red meats and you're going to get some important nutrients from those foods as well, or how do you tread those waters? So, so it's all about proportion. Um, I talk a lot about context. So people want to draw the line. These are good foods. These are bad foods. Should eat these foods. Shouldn't eat these foods. That's really not the way it works. There's foods we need more of. There's foods that we do better with less of, you know, sugar. Red meat could fall in that category, I think, where... There's some evidence that having a lot of red meat in your diet probably isn't very good for you. But, you know, if someone, if they're not getting enough protein, if they're not getting iron from other foods, then red meat could be useful in the right context. So I like to compare it with, um, like, the cast of a movie. You know, you've got your lead actor, your lead actress. um, Maybe that's your, your fruits and vegetables. Maybe that's, you know, your whole grains, your legumes, things like that. 
Um, but there's room for, for a supporting cast too. And they're not going to be in every scene of the movie. Um, but they're going to be in there and they're going to be important to, to the whole picture. So maybe something like red meat would, would fall along Mm -hmm. those lines just to, just to help explain, you know, um, if you're not going to see these, these actors in every scene of the movie, you know, maybe that's how you view, view these foods as well. You're not going to have them at every meal. Right. That's when it gets to be a problem because it's all about proportion. It's all about context. I like that analogy. I had never th- yeah. heard that one before. It's yeah. a good one. With the eating disorders then, um, I guess kind of getting down that line, is that something that you guys see uh, pretty frequently or is that uh, just more... I guess not just time to time where it's right. very serious, obviously. Yeah, I was curious about that too. In the athletic population, it, in certain aspects and certain sports and whatnot, right. it seems to be, I, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not uncommon for us to talk about it. I'd be curious if that's something just in gen pop or corporate wellness. Yeah. Obviously, at the behavioral um, hospital, that would be something that yeah. would be. So in corporate wellness, I think the population kind of reflects the general population for the most part. We've got, at RCW, we've got over over 2,000 corporate clients plus their their family members that we're working with. So it's a big enough sample that kind of reflects the population. And um, people don't realize the prevalence of disordered eating in the general population. It's about, so um, it all depends on how you define it, but... uh, Eight, between 8 and 9% of the population will have some form of disordered eating in their lifetime, and that doesn't mean that they, they have a severe enough case where they have to go get treatment for it, but they might go through an episode where maybe, you know, they're dealing with some depressive symptoms, something like that, and maybe they're using food to cope, and it's sort of like binge-type behaviors. So that's al- almost 1 in 10 people are going to have something like that in their lifetimes that they deal with, and most people kind of move past it on their own and and in the more severe cases that were that's where treatment comes in so um as far as my experience at rogers and and working in in the focused area of eating disorders there um athletics were definitely a theme so we were one of the few uh hospitals that accepted males in our residential program so there's a lot of a lot of programs across the country, uh, specifically residential programs that don't work with males, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, so we, you know, we saw a lot of uh, former wrestlers. Um, right. You know, I had a I had a college football player uh, for females, swimmers, cr- a lot of cross country runners, gymnastics, a lot yep. of the ones you commonly think of. Right. But in those sports, there there is definitely a higher prevalence in certain sports. Anything where um, weight and, and appearance is, is a big, big focus. So um, generally speaking, especially with anorexia, the personality type tends to be very perfectionist. So those high achievers, a lot of times they're, they're some of the better athletes. Um, a lot of the people that I worked with, they were, they were the star athletes on their team or in their program. So um, yeah, definitely saw a lot of athletes. And uh, um, just in, in general, um, it, it's just more common than people realize. And, and again, especially more common in men, it's, it's about two to one, I think for adults, females to males, but, um, that's still a higher proportion, I think, right. than the general public would expect. What would be the most common, like disordered eating things, or is that just a catch all term for it? So like or, to dumb it down, like anorexia versus bulimia versus right. you know, 
the kind of the big ones. So the three the three main ones that people usually think of, there's anorexia, probably the first one most people think of, which is restricting food intake. Usually there's a really significant weight loss that goes hand in hand with that. Uh, bulimia is sort of the, the cycles of um, uncontrollable binge eating paired with some compensatory behavior. People think of purging or mm-hmm. self-induced vomiting, but it could also be using laxatives. It could be um, excessively using exercise to compensate for the binges. Interesting. So that can, like, diagnostically, that can still be bulimia. If someone is binging, but then, and I'm not talking about going out and running one mile to compensate for it. I'm talking about running 20 miles to compensate right, for it. Right. So it's it's at those extremes. Um, binge eating disorder is probably the third one most people think of, and it's actually the most common. Um, it wasn't considered an official diagnosis until about five years ago. So... Um, in the last five years, obviously, the the prevalence of that, it's always been there, but now it's being diagnosed. Gotcha. So um, that's actually, I think, by far the most common diagnosis at this point. And then there's the more, you know, obscure ones, which, you know, don't fit into the boxes of those first three we talked about. So um, ARFID is an acronym. It stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. So basically what it is is anorexia, but without the body image issues. So Okay. It's food avoidance, but um, there's another reason for it. So an example would be if someone had a really extreme fear of choking. You know, it's kind of like OCD where that that fear is so extreme that they don't want to eat because they think if they eat, they'll choke. And so they don't eat, they lose weight. And and it's kind of all the physical symptoms of anorexia, but the cause of it is is different. Very different. And so there, there's other, there's some other more um, obscure ones as well that, you know, we we worked with a lot of those. I don't know, unconventional types of cases at Rogers. So um, kind of saw the whole spectrum. But So is there, there a, I would imagine, like a deeper underlying psychological component that needs to be addressed? Definitely. With, with those things then as well? I mean, is that kind of like the primary, uh, I guess, the first thing that you're going to go <coughs> after and then you're secondarily you know, addressing the dietary things? Yeah. Or? So that's a great question. It, it almost always needs to be a team approach. At minimum, I would say a dietitian and a therapist need to be involved. In a lot of cases, a psychiatrist as well, possibly bringing in the, the, the medication component, um, maybe a behavior specialist. Um, but uh, to, get at, uh, to get at your question, you do have to deal with the root cause. So depression, anxiety, OCD, substance abuse, all of those things commonly occur along with eating disorders. But especially with anorexia or anything with severe weight loss, um, you you really can't treat, you can't effectively do therapy until the body and the brain are where they need to be. So a great example of this, have you guys ever heard of the Minnesota Starvation Study? Um, I feel like I have. You'll have to refresh. Might have been in your undergrad. They might have talked about it briefly at some point. Yeah, it sounds familiar. So... What it was, it was after World War II, and we're getting all these prisoners of war back um, from overseas, and they're severely malnourished, and they're all getting sick, and some of them are dying when they're reintroducing food. And what we now know is that that's called refeeding syndrome, but they really didn't know much about it at that point. So a researcher named Ansel Keys, who is probably more famous for the whole lipid hypothesis, which which is a whole different conversation. Maybe you guys have had that. Mm-hmm. on the podcast before. But oh, boy, that's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, I know. We haven't had it on the podcast, <laughs> so I don't think. Okay. Well, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but um, 
prior to that, um, he did this research with, with these individuals. Uh, it would never happen today because an ethics board would never allow it to happen, but they selected these 36 guys, and they, it wasn't a random sample. They took the best of the best, and they were conscientious objectors to military service. So that uh, meet these physical requirements, mental requirements, be you know very uh, uh, emotionally healthy, basically. And so they didn't have any pre-existing conditions. But what they did was they put them on these restrictive diets for six months. They all lost a lot of weight and they expected the physical symptoms. What they didn't expect were all of the, you know, uh, mental, cognitive, emotional disturbances that occurred. So these guys ended up with severe depression, anxiety, obsessive symptoms. Um, one guy even uh, chopped one of his fingers off. They out of just sort almost like an extreme self-harm incident. Uh, they had all these obsessions with food. They were hoarding cookbooks and cooking utensils and all these different things. So they developed all these severe preoccupations that are actually really common with, with, uh, with anorexia and, and that severe weight loss that we see. Um, even though there's the fear and anxiety and avoidance of food, there's also a preoccupation with it. Mm. Like it it's sort of always, always there. So, um, those symptoms normalized when they were allowed to eat and restore their weight back to a normal level. So the lesson is for anorexia, you kind of have to do the same thing because if, if the body and the brain, those, those chemicals aren't working the way they need to be, um, then uh, you, you can't effectively do therapy. It doesn't just, just go away. So it has to go hand in hand. So that's a lot of your role then? Is coming in and trying to figure out and obviously elaborate on this because you're having the therapy side of it or the, the mm-hmm. treatment side. Like then where is your, you know, is it looking so, at nutritional levels, yeah. suggesting foods to try and get around some certain so stigmas it, it, or it, whatever they might it's have? It's several things. It's um, first of all, identifying, you know, like I said, the body needs to recover. So setting a target weight. You know, what is this, if you take the eating disorder out of the equation, what is a healthy weight for this individual? So um, a lot of times the dietitian is the person making that decision um, and, you know, of course, communicating it to the, to the patient as well, which can be a really difficult conversation. But um, so setting goal weights, um, increasing calorie intake to help restore that weight over time, which um, is an important, it's important that that's a structured process. You don't want to go too quickly, but you also don't want to go too slowly and delay the process. So you're increasing a meal plan over time. Um, and you're also increasing the variety of foods. And that's where, you know, most individuals with, with anorexia, it's about avoiding calories, of course, but there's usually specific foods that are more anxiety provoking than others. So, you know, eating a lettuce wrap might not be a big deal, but um, eating a slice of pizza would be a huge problem. So um, kind of habituating back to that normal food variety. And again, it, when, when those individuals are in treatment, they feel like, oh, hey, you're making me eat junk food every day. You know, you're a dietitian. What do you do? You even know what you're doing? You're asking me to eat a cheese. I, I had a lot of sessions where I'd, I'd sit and eat chips with a with a patient, things like that. And it seems kind of backwards for a dietitian. But really, you're just trying to help them habituate to being around that normal variety of foods so they can function in life, they might eat those foods a lot in treatment. They might not eat those foods a lot after treatment, but on the occasions when it's normal and expected that they do so, they can do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. 
so that's part of the dietitian's role to identify um, what are those those fear foods and then and then gradually reintroduce them and there there's a whole process and science behind that as well but um, I guess I guess those would be the the main pieces of it managing weight possibly setting weight goals not everyone with an eating eating disorder needs to gain or restore weight you know someone with bulimia could be a totally healthy body weight because you know sometimes those extremes the binging and the compensating the sort of balance out Mm -hmm. and so the weight might not change that much but there's a lot going on behind the scenes where you know uh, bulimia can be every bit as um, fatal and as uh, as anorexia you just you don't see it from the outside right Uh, it makes a lot of sense it's very interesting so what recommendations uh, would you have? So you mentioned maybe one in nine or ten people just in the general population tends to deal with some sort of an eating disorder at some point. Maybe it's not to these extremes. Right, right. Um, but those people aren't probably typically seeing somebody for help. So what recommendations would you have for just the, the general population that perhaps is going through a period like that? Well, um, as far as risk for an eating disorder, the number one risk factor for a severe eating disorder is having a, a significant weight loss, which is kind of a catch-22 because we also have a population that is struggling with excessive body weight. And, right. and, and so um, that's obviously a, a problem. You don't want to go um, too far one way or the other. But um, having some balance in the diet having uh eating a variety of foods is is important um and i think the rate of weight loss uh biologically you might be able to lose weight at a faster rate but it there there's sort of a psychological aspect to it that that backfires on a lot of people and some people get kind of hooked on on that weight loss or you know i've worked with a lot of people that unintentionally lost weight and didn't have any eating any disordered eating prior to that uh, mononucleosis had a couple patients Mm. who had no problems with disordered eating or anything like that, um, got mono, lost a ton of weight, and then didn't want to regain the weight right. afterwards. And so um, for anyone who has weight loss goals, I think having a, a good plan, something that's individualized, something that's reasonable, um, and, and I think uh, as far as rate of weight loss, in the early stages for certain people, maybe at a really high BMI, three to four pounds a week might be realistic for those people. Um, but for the most part, it's going to be one to two pounds a week. And if long-term, if you're losing more than one or two pounds a week, um, that's that's probably a little bit hazardous. Sure. And then you mentioned the mindfulness techniques. Do you have specific uh, recommendations that you suggest for people to follow to just be more mindful with their eating? So it's... Uh, it's really difficult because we're sort of a, a clean plate society, I would say. Um, yep. If it's in front of us, we eat it. That's uh, definitely a problem that I've had. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and me too. And also know. my wife's. Gotta so that one. Yeah. <laughs> so personal experience, no I've I've left behind. I've always been that person, and it, you know, being a, a younger a younger guy, and I was in athletics. I mean, for the most part, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big problem, but eventually right. that that does catch up with you if you're cleaning your plate all the time. It depends how much you put on your plate, right. but um, it's, that's a that's a different conversation. But as far as... I blame everybody else. <laughs> um, Don't make so much food. What I, uh, what I suggest to people is doing journaling. I'm a big believer in journaling. I find that to be really effective. So um, when people hear food journaling, a lot of times they assume that means 
you know, counting calories, counting carbs, whatever. And it could be that, and there could be certain people that that, that could benefit. But, um, I think for the, for the average person taking note of what just, you know, what do you eat? When do you eat it? Approximate amounts. If you have pizza, how many slices of pizza do you have? That kind of thing. Um, but also noting, you know, what's my hunger, what's my fullness, with some clients I sit down, I sit down with and I go over their journal with them and they realize I, I was never, I've never, I'm never hungry. And right. Actually, uh, you know, one individual said, I, I, I realized I can't remember the last time I was actually hungry. And, you know, with the journaling, he kind of allowed himself to wait to be hungry. And he realized, well, I, I could have a smaller breakfast because I'm still full when I sit down to eat lunch. And then he was actually hungry for lunch. And, uh, kind of develop that more that more natural sense of hunger and fullness because what I what I have people do is score it from zero to ten. Mm-hmm. So zero would be like as hungry as you can possibly imagine yourself being. You know, d- deserted island hungry. Uh and then and then ten would be like Thanksgiving day full. Right. You know, so you have those two extremes. You don't want to be near zeros and tens. You kinda wanna be at threes and sevens. But what I find with a lot of people is they live between like a six and an eight. You know, and, okay. and they're, they really don't even notice being physically hungry. Now they eat because, you know, it's time to eat or, you know, there's some, there's some cue while, you know, I should be eating. But, um, if you really get in touch with those physical signals, your portions might look different. The timing of how you're eating might look a little different. Um, so building that awareness, I think is, is kind of at the core of, of the mindfulness piece with eating. That's one I've tried to figure out just almost to your exact point because I even look at like today, like I have, I won't say go all in on intermittent fasting, but I like the concept of it, but it was more so because of like the hunger thing. It's literally like today I've had coffee. The only thing I've had in it was some like protein, collagen protein and uh, MCT. So that's some form right. of fuel, but like sitting here now, not hungry but do I go and still eat lunch? Right. And 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 it, that's where I've kind of gone back and forth of. And so I, I don't necessarily counsel people to skip meals, but if you kind of check in and say, well, I'm not that hungry, maybe I just need the basics right now. Right. A little bit of protein, maybe a fruit or vegetable with it, and maybe that's enough. Um, something to get get you through your day, but, you know, if you're not hungry, maybe you don't need, like, the full spread that we often get at lunch. So yeah. The refillable salad bar. <laughs> It's hard to say no there. Right. Five pounds of salad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have a blog, and um, I assume you use that to kind of help communicate information, uh, you know, to clients and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. Do you use other resources as well for them to kind of go and, like, learn more just so they're more educated? And uh, I, I would assume that would be more well-rounded and lead to better outcomes. Yeah, so um – I do, I do individual counseling with, with people, our corporate clients. Um, I do the blog, which I really enjoy writing. So that's a nice outlet for that. And it's a way, um, it's a place where I, you can explain things a little more in depth. Like, um, actually I mentioned that the alkaline diet conversation earlier, uh, last year, that was our most popular blog post. I got like, I don't know, 250 or 300 hits. So, um, you know, that's something where someone Googles alkaline diet, maybe our stuff comes up, but for our corporate clients, we can direct them to the website and say, this is a good source of information. If you have questions about right. the alkaline diet, or I did one on bacon and cancer and, and, and kind of those more controversial 
uh, subjects that you, if you just Google it, what you'll find. What about butter and coffee? No, just, you don't have to get into <laughs> that. Okay. Do you get questions like that quite a bit about uh, like specific, uh, maybe things that people see in the mainstream media yeah. that like the, the sky is falling, the world's going to end because of X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Yeah. Um, questions and counseling sessions inspire most of the most of the better blog posts that that i end up i doing. can only imagine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i can see that That's like, we do the same thing we even do it with this it's just like what question do you answer all the time yep turn it into a video because there there were headlines i don't know it must have been six or eight months ago that, that coffee was a carcinogen and so everyone was everyone was worked up about that it only lasted a few weeks but i did a blog post on it and we we uh sent it out in an email and and whatever so just to kind of calm people down <laughs> about about that particular topic or you know I, the war on coconut oil like that yeah, went oh off God. for yeah. a couple yep. months <laughs> where it was just the oh god yeah yeah actually we did a blog post on on coconut oil um i get a, a lot of people ask me the question or should I even bother eating white vegetables? Because if they're, we try to preach this whole eat colorful fruits oh, and vegetables. Sure. Right? And they're like, well, I, sh- I should avoid, I shouldn't eat onions or I shouldn't eat cauliflower. And it's like, no, that's not really the point of, of oh, that. Oh, Lord. White's but still a color, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> or the uh, absence. I don't know. Whatever. Absence. Oh, there. Yeah. Absence of color. But w- we also do, uh, we do some cooking classes. Um, I, I've tried to do grocery store tours. I, I've kind of struggled to get enough interest in, in that. But I try to look at those nutrition-related life skills. So if you go to the core of, okay, why is someone struggling with poor eating habits? Um, you know, you follow the chain back up. Well, what's on your dinner plate at home? That comes from what's in your fridge or your pantry. That comes from, you know, the the things you buy at the grocery store. And how do you decide what to buy at the grocery store? For a lot of people, they walk in without a plan. So if they go into the grocery store with a plan, right. it changes everything down that whole that whole chain of events. You you purchase different foods. Different foods end up in, in your fridge, your freezer, your pantry. Mm-hmm. Different foods end up on your plate at home. Yeah. So you kind of have to look at that whole chain. Yeah, find that, 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 that first thing that makes the difference not there, for all of them. You can't eat it. Right. If it is, yeah, I do that with cheese. It's awfully hard for and your willpower. You're going to eat something. Yeah. You know, you're you're not going to deprive yourself, nor should people. But, um, you know, if you don't have a plan, it's just, uh, you know, kind of an impulse right. a lot mm-hmm. of times. <laughs> yeah. I've done a lot better actually having lunches prepared, so then it's a lot less stops at the hot spot, mm. a quick trip on the yeah. way home yeah. and things like that, which – Meal prep, meal good. prepping is is great. I I um, talk with a lot of people about meal prepping. Take an hour or two on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday yep. evening. You know, lay out your plan for the week. Maybe chop up your vegetables, cook your meat if you're going to have a meat with lunch, uh, boil your rice, whatever it's going to be. Um, but then you've got it for the week. You don't need to rely on the vending machine for your yep. lunch. Yeah. So it goes out in the window in a hurry. Then yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Which one? What do you? Th- Last one here. So, um, how has the use of depends, or there isn't an answer, been received? Because I can imagine that it happens Drives a lot. I, 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 I use it there was all one the blog post of yours I was reading. God, which one was it? Oh, I don't even remember. But you had like you did a great job of like summarizing everything, and then at the end of it, you're like, "So what does it all mean?" And you're like, "Well, it's situational." 
yeah. which I'm sure drives people up a wall. It does. It, it really frustrates people. It happens be, all because the time. Because we sort we sort of been coached. We see all we see all the advertisements, magazine covers. You know, people read stuff on the internet. Yeah. Everyone's selling one solution. You know? Right. And what's important there is people are selling it. Usually there's there's a book to go with it, or there's a supplement you need to, need to buy. So I always advise people if someone's selling you something, you know. Um, Yes. Probably not not the smartest choice. You know, you can get everything you need at the grocery store. You don't need to go outside of that to have to have a healthy diet. Um, so yeah, it does frustrate people because they've been coached that um, well, there's going to be one solution, one magic pill, and, and that's just not how it works. As you guys know, working working in the health industry, right. that's not mm-hmm. how it works. So, um, but if I again, if I go back to well, what do you want to accomplish? to the to the individual and then try to create a plan based on that maybe you know parts of what you know if they're interested in keto maybe parts of that would be useful for them um maybe not it it really depends on what their lifestyle is depends on what their spouse eats what their kids eat you know if they visit their parents every week and what do their parents eat like you have to take all those things into consideration to say okay well this is the approach that's going to work for you because you know if you're interested in, in keto, but your parents, your spouse, your kids, like it, it doesn't work, right? You know, so you kind of hit on it, and I'm just curious of your take on it with supplementation. Like mm-hmm. we've got our stances on it. Like I, we both utilize some version of them. Is mm-hmm. that something that a What are your just general thoughts on it for your, your general people? And then also just curious, is that something that comes into play at all? with the disordered eating in terms of trying to get specific levels or things back yeah quicker or more efficiently so you know for the general population i think uh, most people don't need supplements unless they have you know major gaps in their diet and maybe even not major but if they have gaps in their diet where they're not getting certain foods or maybe they certain people don't absorb certain nutrients well like Iron. Some people just mm-hmm. do not absorb iron well, no matter what they're doing with their diet. So they just might need extra supplementation for that. Um, I don't think there's like a um, a nutrient that I would say everyone should supplement. Okay. Again, you look at um, well, you ask yourself, uh, is it going to do any harm? Right. So if you're taking a, an iron supplement or fish oil or those kind of things, it's not going to do any harm. It's not going to be a bad thing. Um, is it affordable? So is it, is it going to possibly provide the benefit that, you know, I'm, I'm paying for it? Um, and, uh, then, then the other question is, is it going to benefit me? And so if you have deficiencies, sure, it, it could definitely benefit you if you're not absorbing, uh, certain nutrients or, or you're just not eating the variety of foods that you need. Um, with eating disorders, I, I, supplementation is necessary especially in the early stages okay because it's really just a blank slate usually they're deficient in everything right um at least with anorexia but um so you start with sort of the the multivitamin and sort of the full supplementation regimen if you get their diet back to a certain point they might not they might not need to supplement long term but um as far as the early stages of it things like potassium sodium things that you wouldn't expect to need supplements for are are often necessary because the electrolyte levels can be so um so deficient in in those individuals you know most people aren't going to have unless you have fluid regulation issues you're not going to have electrolyte problems um for those individuals that's a reality and it can be really critical as far as um 
as far as health goes. Do you so. test for those typically, and or did you in those situations, or would you just kind of like in general they're probably going to need these? Yeah. So um, I worked on the inpatient at the inpatient level. Now that was like daily labs. They had to do labs oh, wow. every day wow. because it was. I mean, it was really critical as as far as health goes. I mean, if phosphorus drops below a certain level, potassium drops below a certain right. level, your heart can just stop. Right. In those individuals, it was it was you know, a real possibility that that could happen. So um, at the inpatient level, we were looking at labs every single day. Residential, you know, a little bit less than that. And then you kind of go down down the list, uh, partial programming, which is like day programming, and then they go home at night or go to a hotel. Um, and then like, you know, outpatient treatment for eating disorders, you probably want fairly regular uh definitely more than the average person as far as as seeing that blood work maybe every month or two at least just to see what those uh electrolyte levels are um iron things like that nice to be able to track it and know exactly where you're at yeah and and that that's um that's the thing you know in treatment we had that all set up for the average person to go get labs done if they're working with an outpatient dietitian that's it's a little more of a process. You can't just snap yeah. your fingers and, and have that happen. Sure. So, can't yeah. wait for the day when that's more affordable. Yep. That'd be, yeah. Yep. Hey, That'll man, be bro. good. <clears throat> Anything else that you wanted to cover specifically before we hop into kind of the questions we ask everybody? Um. Anything we didn't touch on? Well, I, we could see. go on for hours, I'm sure, on different yeah. things. but Yeah, I could talk about the eating disorder topic. Um Probably all day. I'd, <laughs> that, w- that was something that, again, I, I didn't have a background in it. Right. And um, I, I think it would even be fair to say I didn't have a particular interest in it, but it was like, well, I just got out of school. I need a good job. And right. it was a good job. And, um, within a couple months, I realized it was a really good fit for my personality. Okay. Because, you know, I'm not the type of dietitian that is very rigid. Right. Or strict, you know. Uh, Wednesday night basketball league. You know, I get pizza on Wednesday nights after after we play basketball. Darn Skippy! So. I just put out that <laughs> just put out that many calories. I'm going to enjoy it and not feel bad about yeah, it at all. So you know, um, uh, my personality fit because I was trying to help people get back to a less rigid eating pattern, and and so um, I, I really I really enjoyed working with eating, eating disorders and, and still keep a particular interest in that topic. So I could talk about that all day, but um, as far as the other stuff, I. I think we covered everything that I'd, I'd like to talk about. Cool. <clears throat> well, getting into the clinically pressed questions and uh, just starting off, what is something that you believe, and this could be related to uh, your field of expertise or not, but something you believe that maybe others do not? Well, um, I think I would put a, a much bigger emphasis on sleep than most people. Uh, you know, relating back to health and wellness, I'd... Um, I feel like sleep does not get the the equal billing that diet and exercise do as far as its effect on health, but I I think it's equally as important as as those other two factors. So that's something I talk about with clients. I always ask them, what's your sleep pattern like? Not only quantity, but quality of sleep. And, you know, it's a little little harder to give a prescription for that because, you know, some people just, I mean, really struggle to sleep, but at least knowing that variable is really important. So I think I, I put a bigger emphasis on sleep than than certainly most dietitians would but um providers in general do you run into that quite a bit with corporate yeah and i'm trying to and you you can answer this however but like even just curious in the area like kind of taking family out of it i don't have one yet but i've heard stories you have a wife and a dog and a cat the dog does keep me up (laughs) 
sometimes at the middle of the night. But just, you know, that you hear about the corporate types maybe in, like, bigger cities or, you know, the Wall Street that are just running on mm-hmm. caffeine and other stimulants most likely. Like, yeah. Do you, is that something that you see commonly? Definitely. I mean, um, LHI is a is – a, uh, that company is growing really quickly, and that's, right. that's our number one client at RCW. So um, in, in that environment, I, I think that corporate – attitude certainly does come into play where okay. you know people are working overtime um in some cases mandatory overtime right you know and then they're running home to, to their kids practices they run them from place to place whatever um yeah I, a lot of people that i talk to they say well i get i get my five hours or whatever and oh. let the dog out in the middle of that and uh, that adds up and that affects you know hunger and fullness hormones it affects your cortisol all those things behind the scenes in the body that, you know, you might not think about it. Ju- it just makes for a much steeper hill to climb is how I describe it to right. people. Like, no, it makes sense. You can, you, can, does. you can still see progress if, like, you know, you'd modify your diet, modify your, your physical activity routine. But um, if you're not well rested, it's just it's going to happen a lot slower and it's going to be a lot more difficult on a daily basis. So I like that one. Yeah. Do you, what do you typically recommend, or do you just suggest that they try to find their happy zone? Yeah, I mean, seven to nine hours is a good start. A lot of people hear that, and they think, well, I'll just get seven hours. But um, I think just as many people need nine hours as, as can get by with seven. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'll start by trying to set up a ske- like a nightly schedule with them to try to get them to seven hours. And if they still don't feel rested, then then they might need more than that. I know I need my sleep. Definitely do. And I struggle. And I've I got to, I've got to credit my wife for that one. That's something that she's a nurse and okay. she's always really felt that sleep is sort of the X factor. And the right. more the more I've worked with people, you know, I've really seen that that if if you can get someone to get better rest and better sleep, then the rest of the stuff falls in line a lot mm-hmm. more easily. Totally so. believe that. Yeah, it's been a big focus of trying to figure out better quality, like still looking at quantity, mm-hmm. and you know, shooting for the seven, but figuring out like the routines to set yeah. yourself up to actually get good sleep to when you're actually sleeping you know no lights right cool yep the temperature different is things a big like deal. that yeah but that's been a focus i've been trying to do lately and haven't was going to try and quantify some of that i went as far as turning the wi-fi off during the middle of the good night for you nice. put it on a timer yes just like the christmas lights we get so i'm curious so what's the idea behind turning the wi-fi off so i listened I listen to all kinds of stuff, and this kind of comes back to our random things. There was a guy who did a lot of research on electromagnetic frequencies mm-hmm. and looking at, like, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and just kind of how we're living in this world of we're, like, in this huge experiment that we have no idea how these yeah, things are going to potentially affect us down the line. You know, we can easily say in the short term doesn't seem to be anything terrible. Um but he was saying like he would actually go around with like a EMF reader and documented like his own sleep quality plus looking at stuff like that. And he said he stayed at one hotel and the Wi-Fi router was like under the bed and it was just emitting and he tried it one night where his sleep just sucked and, you know, he was equating it to that. So the, um, I think there was a lot of that and I've heard ones, you know, putting phone on airplane mode or, you know, turning off the transmission of it all and so he was saying with wi-fi either a try and put it as far away from your room in your mm-hmm. house so you're not like right on the hotspot of it well in our house it's right directly below our bedroom so i was like well 
we're never going to use the Wi-Fi in the middle of the night. So mm-hmm. giving that a try, I don't know if it's made any difference yet. Yeah. I've been yelled at once because my wife's Kindle didn't work because she stayed <laughs> up later than I had it on. But that was – so far, we'll see. But, yeah, it just it was one of those things, like, could it be, like, such a small magnitude, but it's such an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. It can't yeah. hurt either. That's kind of – yeah. Plus, it just – yeah, that was one of several things we're giving a try. Nice. So, yeah. That's cool. Never heard of that one. Yeah, it was – I can't remember the guy's book. I haven't read it either, but it was it was convincing enough to be like, well, for an $8 timer mm-hmm. for your outlet, let's give it a shot. Yeah, so. yeah and then you set it and forget it, and you don't have to worry about right. it, too. Yeah. yeah. If you track before and after and really saw a difference, then, you know. Yeah, and that's uh, one I've been trying to look at just in general on how I'm feeling, but there just seems to be too many variables to try and control for. Mm-hmm. I could have it be 65 in the house and with a fan on me, and that doesn't fly on the other side of the <laughs> bedroom, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm, with, I'm with you there. Yeah. I, I would keep the house at 60 if I could. <laughs> there you so. go. Um, second one, and this can be, again, fitness-related or just in general, most influential purchase for at or around 100 bucks. Um, Let's see. Uh, I would say most influential purchase would be you could probably get it for like a dollar just a notebook to to track Solid. you know going nice. back i like that going back to the journaling piece whether you know you're tracking what you're eating and again it doesn't have to be super scientific it doesn't have to be counting every single calorie or whatever but um you know just take notes about hunger and fullness take notes about how you feel during the day i work with a lot of people with digestive problems and so mm. if you um if you have a record of okay these are the foods i ate this day and this is when i started to have problems right eventually you have enough evidence to say well this is probably the cause of it and then you can eliminate it or at least reduce it um so you know i think uh, a pen and a small notebook could probably be the most impactful thing for most people like it <clears throat> do you have any book recommendations that uh yeah people could read and check out some excited yeah, learn, for. learn some more information so um we actually i mentioned some of the programs we do at rcw um, one of the more recent ones i started was a nutrition book club so um you know i'll make a a, a book recommendation and then I'll, I'll give our clients you know a month to read it and then we'll have a meeting about it kind of conventional book club yep. so we've done a few um few of them so far the first one is intuitive eating which is sort of an expansion on mindful eating um written by a couple of dietitians and i think i think it's a great starting point for just sort of a philosophy towards eating for almost anybody um it kind of rejects the whole black and white uh rules of eating that we kind of get sold and uh there's much more reliance on listening to your body, listening to your instincts, um, it, but still separating the difference between like cravings versus hunger mm-hmm. and all those different things. And just, just really building an awareness. So intuitive eating would be at the top of my list. Um, I like Michael Pollan. He's got a couple of good books. Uh, In Defense of Food is probably, probably my favorite of his. Um, his tagline for that one he's got three general recommendations or general rules Mm -hmm. for eating it's uh eat food not too much mostly plants so eat food is basically eat real food things that are recognizable you know try to generally stay away from things from boxes or bags although of course there's exceptions to that you know you buy almonds in a bag and that's a whole thing but <laughs> right. um, but some people you say you know pronounce the ingredients and understand what they are yeah yeah kind of that general idea yeah. uh, without being 
overly rigid about it, but eat food, uh, not too much. So again, be having some awareness of portions, you know, an awareness of fullness and stop eating when you're full, that kind of thing. And mostly plants again, you know, like we mentioned kind of at the, at the start of the discussion, most of what we don't get enough of is mostly found in plant foods. Right. So fruits, vegetables, legumes, plant-based proteins, those kinds of things. Um, it's it's pretty certain we should be eating more of those foods. So it's a hard one to argue. Yeah, in I most like cases. His, those books. I've read those both, and um, he just came out with a new book. I thought that I was yeah. trying to. I haven't read it yet, but I wanted to read it because it, it's on psych- psychedelic mushrooms. Is that what it yeah, is? Really? It's kind yeah. of. I haven't read it, but um, I read a review of it actually. Oh, uh, it's a whole other topic it, for. There's one cooked. Um, well, that must be a different one. It's a newer one than that. Okay. So I think it's kind of a departure from sort of his uh, nutrition advice, and, and it's more about psychology and, mm-hmm. and yeah, psychedelic mushrooms. How to, that how to change thing. your mind. Yeah, that's it. Got it. Yeah. Oh, that could go He deep. presents it in a, a very reader-friendly format, yes. I think, too. Yeah. You don't have to have like a super in-depth understanding of like nutrition and all that. There's also a uh, documentary mm-hmm. little series that he has as well. I checked out one of them. I haven't watched them all, but it was interesting. What is that? Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, it was on Netflix. So, it's on Netflix? So, okay. Uh, Add to the I think list. it was like this one was based on fire and just like things that you do with fire and cook. And then I think there's other ones based on like, I don't know if it's soil, huh. air, Yeah, like Yeah, kind of like, like different power, elements. and Yeah. Interesting. Power Rangers. What show was that? Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah, Captain <laughs> <laughs> Power Rangers. Anyway. Um, so, so yeah, and then I guess the other book, um, again, that we – this is the third book we did in the book club was called The Blue Zones. Have you guys ever read that? I have not. Okay. So, that you know, The Blue Zones describes um, areas in the world where people live exceptionally long lives. Okay. So, you know, uh, an exceptional number of these people live to age 100 or greater. So there's five of these areas that they identified, and it was Dan Butner, I think. He worked for Je- National Geographic or okay. worked for them. And uh, one was in Loma Linda, California. One was in Greece. One was in uh, Costa Rica, Sardinia, Italy, and then Okinawa, Japan. So they're all over the world. It's not just like in right. a little pocket of the world. But they were able to identify there's actually several common characteristics amongst these populations. So, um, mostly a plant-based diet. They don't eat a lot of meat. Um, they have basically daily physical activity programmed into their lives. They don't go to their gym, right? but you know, they're harvesting things. They're, um, you know, herding goats or whatever, but they have a reason to get out and be active every day. They tend to be outside a lot. Um, there's a few other things, but the nutrition lesson is basically, um, you know, eating mostly plant foods. And I think it's interesting with all the all the low-carbers out there mm-hmm. that are, you know, anti-carbohydrate, the diets in the blue zones are, like, probably 60% carbs. So now the, the type of carbs are important. Right. So yeah, it's, no, it's, I... it's beans, it's sweet potatoes, it's fruits, it's things like that. So it's whole foods, but it kind of contradicts the whole idea that carbs are, are the enemy. It's not so. simple sugar in the form of a piece of bread. Right. right. It's yeah. different It's yeah. different than, than that. For sure. Although although whole grain bread and corn tortillas, um, those were uh, some of the foods in, in certain blue zones. Yeah, that so. wasn't a knock bread. It was when you just take a glucose right. molecule and 
turn it into a piece of bread. Wonder bread. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. There you go. Uh, in your area of expertise, how is, uh, what's one way that you could take something that's very complicated, which uh, in your world, that's a lot of things, and just kind of make it more simple just for mm-hmm. the average, you know, everyday corporate goer? So uh, let's see. There's a lot of different directions I could go with this, but um, I use a lot, a lot of uh, uh, visual stuff in sessions with people where you know they're they're asking, well, how how many fruits and vegetables is enough? And so um, that that's one of the things I end up recommending most people is trying to get about three cups of fruits and vegetables a day. And people talk about servings, people talk about all these different mm-hmm. descriptors, but three cups is is, is kind of the goal that most people should be hitting. And, and so visually, if you show someone that, it's about a plate and a half of fruits and vegetables, nine and a half inch dinner plate. So, you know, um, I do I do some visual stuff, you know, food models, kind of the stereotypical dietitian stuff, um, just to visually show people this is, this is what your plate should look like and this is how much of these foods um, you should have. But I think the blog really um, gives gives us an opportunity to take complicated subjects and explain to people this is this is why it's relevant to you. This is how you can apply this information to your right. life. So, um, and so those would be two ways. Um, the other thing is is going back to the journaling again. If I get a chance, if someone journals and you know I get a chance to look at at that journal with them, um, a lot of times you know there, there's a they'll have a hundred entries from like a whole month of uh, food. But if we sit down and look at that together, we can pick out two or three trends. It's like, if you change these two or three things, there that's, it is. that, that's it. Like a lot of people aren't as far off as they think it's one or two mm-hmm. things they, that they change. Make, oh, for sure. Make a huge difference. So. Yeah. That's one we've looked at in, in terms of even trying to like help, um, athletes with stuff is mm-hmm. just change this one thing don't right. change the whole shebang change this one thing yeah. let's start there yeah. yeah and then off they go yeah a lot of times it's people i'm just especially those uh those first couple meetings you know you could set a dozen goals right mm-hmm. but if you if you just set one or two goals and say just focus your energy on these that's where you can have the biggest impact yes so. definitely it's a lot more sustainable for follow-through as well mm-hmm. same thing for patients i'll one or two exercises try to max it at that and mm-hmm. it's bite-sized chunks as opposed to like a, an hour like if they're gonna try to do something that's an hour mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen right you know nothing's gonna happen so let's just take those one or two things and then modify it if you need to down the road but yeah it's a great place to start all right last one if you can go back and tell yourself something in your training or education like 10 years ago just set us where you were at and what you would tell yourself. Yeah, so 10 years ago, um, let's see. 10 years ago, I, I was uh, starting my freshman year of college. So, Or you could shift the 10 years if you'd like. Yeah. It's up to you. But um, as far as, you know, my experience in college versus having um, you know, six years, six, seven years of experience as a dietitian, um, I would just say be prepared for things to change because, you know, what you – even some things I was taught in college – you know, as there's more research that comes out, it's like, well, actually, that doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, dietary cholesterol is a big one. Where, oh, yeah. You know, there are all the strict limits on dietary cholesterol. And then 2015, the dietary guidelines said, like, uh, probably not a big deal. Like, right. you don't have to count your, your cholesterol intake. Um, I think it's still probably part of the equation, but it's not nearly as important as, as what they had made it out to be. And so I guess my um, what I would tell myself is just 
be open to to the changes that will happen in the field because sure. I'm sure 10 years from now, you know, God, who knows? Yeah. I uh, mean, we're kind of running out of things to, <laughs> you would think so, <laughs> right? But to vilify, you know, um, carbs are, are sort of the, the villain yeah, right now. Yeah. And it was fat for 30 years. And actually, if you go back a hundred years, uh, protein was actually like the, the leading health and wellness experts a hundred years ago were saying, stay away from protein. Really? That's the root cause of con- chronic disease. Yeah. Um, look up John Harvey Kellogg started okay. the Kellogg cereal oh, company. There you go. That makes uh, again. He sell, he's got a yeah, reason. Yeah, you know, selling, uh, yeah, benefit there. Selling his cornflakes, but um, yeah, I didn't <laughs> thought about that. That's really interesting. So it's just what, it, what could be next. Yeah, yeah. So we've hit the three macronutrients, the three things that can possibly provide us energy: right. protein, fats, carbs. I mean, yeah, what's going to be next? Hmm. Time will tell. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm really curious thinking about that. All right, uh, just to wrap up, where can people find you, follow things that you're doing? We'll obviously link up the blog um, mm-hmm. in the show notes and in the description so everybody can get a hold of that real easy. But anything mm-hmm. else that you'd want to share? Um, well, we've got a Facebook page, Riverside Corporate Wellness. Post um decent amount of things on there. Um, I'm always happy to, to answer email from, you know, anyone – that would have nutrition questions. I can't do, you know, nutrition counseling unless, unless someone was a client. Right. But, um, you know, I could, uh, I wouldn't mind sharing my email address if. Awesome. If, we can link you know, that if up. there's a question related to, to what, what we talked about and you guys wanted to put that on your website, whatever. Perfect. So, yeah. So yeah, we will happily do that. Cool. Well, thanks right. for taking the time. Yeah, to definitely. With us. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me. All Appreciate right. it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Pressed. Go to clinicallypressed.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Pressed on YouTube and any podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for the Total Athletic Therapy Newsletter. You'll get direct links to all new clinically pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated simple and optimize performance. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.